0: This is the None of Your Business Podcast. Thank you for joining today. I'm your host, Robert DeLude. And it is my mission to bring you inspiring stories for entrepreneurs, businessmen and women, students, coaches, or anyone else who is crushing it in life and doing kick-ass things. We all go through personal struggles. It doesn't matter what our background is, but we can overcome them and accomplish anything, and I want to show you how. Thank you for joining me today. Now let the show begin. On today's episode, we have Natalie Torres-Haddad. She is a two-time TEDx speaker. She's known for her TED Talk, The Foreign Language of Financial Literacy. She is an international award-winning author. She is the host of a bilingual podcast, Financial Savvy 20 Minutes. She is an international keynote speaker and educator. Her activities have been featured in the Huffington Post, LA Times, and 60 Second Docs. And even a Honda commercial as herself, being a financial expert. So in today's episode, we talk about her growing up during the times of the LA riots um her and her struggles going through school um her being in debt and how she overcame them she gives you excellent advice um to start being debt free and you know she just gets real and vulnerable um she shares a little bit of, about her TED Talk experience and being a round tabler. So I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Robert Delude. And Natalie gives all of her tags at the end of the episode. So be sure to listen all the way through so you can follow her on that as well.
1: And three. All right, we're going. So welcome.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: So who are you? What do you do?
2: So I'm Natalie Torres-Heddad, I'm known as a Financially Savvy Latina uh, on Instagram and all that fun social media stuff, but what I do is mainly I'm an international award-winning author and presenter, recently become a speaker in the past seven years, and I advocate on not only financial literacy, mental health, and I get to do that across the country, which is pretty cool, at usually universities and major, major corporations. And last year I did my first TEDx Talks, which was such a great experience, and we'll, we'll dive into that as well. And uh, less than a month ago, I gave my second one, um, and both obviously around money, around finances, um, For this one, past one was particularly for women. So um, I'm looking forward to sharing a little bit more with your listeners on what I've been doing for the past two decades, pretty much, and what it's become, I think, part of my my purpose since since high school. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I like that. So, like, why did you get that?
2: You know, um, I believe my journey, uh, I always tell people that we all have a money story. And so that journey can be as early as when we're kids, what we're exposed to, um, not only how we relate to money, but how our family members and those that take care of us relate to money. And so a little bit about my background, I grew up um, in Inglewood, California. Uh, for those that aren't, aren't familiar, uh, obviously a place, the Los Angeles, that was, um, it still is actually a, a very challenging city, you could say, as far as funds and a lot of poverty. But uh, I also grew up during the time of the LA riots, so that meant a lot more challenges that most people don't ever think about um, in the States. And um, so growing up around that, you see you're exposed to uh, way of thinking, a way of, um, there's many challenges that most cities don't, or most people that live in cities don't face. And so for me, I figured out that the best way that I can serve my community, um, you know, my family is very much into like helping each other, helping, um, build us fortunate. And obviously when you have no money as a kid, you kind of like, what do I do? And so my mom always said, you know, whatever you can, you figure it out. and Education will get you, um, the opportunities that most people don't have. Um, so I became a first generation college grad. Um, I got my master's as well, so that makes me a very small percentage of uh, not only people that have a master's, but also because I'm Latino, I'm I'm a bilingual speaker. I was born in El Salvador, but I was a baby when we came to the state, so I understood there was a lack of language when it came to learning about our finances, and I studied finance and international business as my majors, and then my master's eventually in public administration, so what I started to notice is with even within my classes and then within the work, I started working for real estate investment firms and I noticed the lack of education in personal finance. Um, and unless you grew up in a household where money was talked about, where you actually went through, um, you know, different scenarios on what you're investing and preparing for retirement. Um, my parents did their best. They sacrificed so much and they gave us every opportunity possible. But because of part of being immigrants is you only have so many funds, you only have so much education um, in order to do so. So I realized uh, not only was there a lack of good good content that revolved about financial literacy, um, but bilingual content. So um, being able to have those conversations, those difficult conversations with our parents, um, with our grandparents, with our loved ones, um, became something that I think has been part of who I am, not knowing it. Um, And so somehow I've always been involved with the community, whether it was through the companies or the nonprofits that I worked with, um, being able to not only promote and educate um, about financial literacy and managing your money, but really talking about the stigmas and the challenges that come with that. I don't pretend, I let people know. I still I have many challenges myself and um, I had to overcome any challenges. And so um, that's something that has allowed me to really connect with people and people really resonate with my message because financial health is also revolved around your mental health. And we all know in the, in the States, especially, we have a lot of, um, people that are dealing with depression or mental illnesses. And a lot of it also does root with your finances. So, um, being open about that is not easy. <laughs> um, I'm sure you probably heard of Brene Brown's, uh, or watched her one of her many vulnerability videos. Um, Mm -hmm. but she just, I think she hit it right on that sometimes being able to share our most difficult situations um, or, you know, basically things that we wish no one knew um, would really allow us to not only speak our truth, but to help others that you didn't really think about. And that's not usually why you say, well, that's not usually why I mention what I've gone through um, just to help people, but it's really, sometimes it becomes therapeutic and allows me to Move forward and and help others not to deal with the same thing. So, um, I somehow um, included my my financial hardships in my TED talk, which I, every day, even today, I still think like, why did I do that? <laughs> why did I share some of the most difficult th- moments in my life? But I think it was because I needed to make my 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 statement clear and. The best way to put it, um, I had a coach during my Ted, TEDx uh, practice, and he pretty much said, "He's like, um, tell me something I can't Google you and Google you on." Because I was ready to give him my resume and all the stuff I've done, um, but he he's like, "No, tell me something that there's that makes me want to listen to you on the other side of the world for ten minutes of my time. What makes you different from all those other people that are talking about financial literacy and mental health?" And I and I just sat there and I started to cry during our <laughs> meeting, but he, I understood what he meant. And so I explained to him, I didn't want people to go through what I went through and I wanted people feel less alone about talking about money. So I think that's where it's led me to where I am now. And it's still a journey.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. It, definitely learning curve. So you talked about that you grew up during the LA riots. Like, what did that look like?
2: You know, um, I didn't really appreciate my upbringings um, or my, my experience until college when I, I was lucky enough. I went to Cal State Long Beach and it was such a diverse campus and being able to talk about, you know, how you grew up. And it, it didn't really phase me, I guess, because I, I kind of thought, oh, maybe everyone had similar experiences or even at that, you just don't want to talk about it. Um, It wasn't until a, I want to say it was a a Chicano Latino class or one of um, my undergraduate courses that made me really talk about my experience growing up as a kid. And that's when I realized that, you know, cities from where I lived had no clue what it meant to live through the LA riots. So for someone that has no idea what that is, um, during this time, we, you know, people, many people always give me the, the comment when I say I grew up in the LA riots right, so, of oh yeah I remember that time and the truth is all they remember is watching it on tv but um I my city was actually a little further out where it was really really bad but we were still very much affected by it so um you know this was a city that was already struggling financially didn't have all the same resources that most um, affluent cities had and um you know as a kid I was about I want to say close to 10 years old and seeing, no, excuse me. Yeah, about 10 to 13. This, this is pretty bad. But I remember seeing like my local restaurants and little mom and pop shops, um, blocks from where we live that were looted um, and some of them burnt to the ground. Um, so one of my favorite restaurants was little mom and pop restaurant. Um, and most of these people were little, you know, first generation, maybe second generation business owners, um, and lost everything and never came back. They never brought their business back. Um, there was a lot of fear in my city. Um, I remember seeing grown men, um, frustrated, crying too. I mean, my parents didn't really fully understand what was going on either. So as a kid, I try to navigate, um, you know, not being able to go outside anymore because my parents were afraid things would, you know, their house might get looted or we might get, um, hurt there were people from other places other cities um and it wasn't just all black and brown people i think that's a misconception a lot of people think oh you know they were you know ruining their own homes and i go not exactly i remember there was um people from all over that were coming into the city that were looting um stores and taking things that obviously didn't belong to them but um a lot of these people rented too so and they lived in horrible conditions so i I remember once a, a young woman said, I, I can't imagine how someone can ruin their home. And I thought, well, their home was probably a horrible condition. I mean, when we talk about slumlords, some of these buildings are horrible. And it was out of rage or whatever it might be. And um, being exposed to that as a kid, um, I know a lot of people might say they have been around like gangs or they've seen um, certain things as a kid. But when you see adults not understanding fully what was going on, Um, Even till this day, I mean, there's so many documentaries that have come out from, you know, the from the beatings and 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 talk about what really went on. And I'm thinking, wow, even grown adults who're retired still can't make of the type of emotional and frustration that people are going through. Um, And so for me, it was I want to say it was a scary time, but I also think it was just more of a confusing time because as a kid, you don't really understand everything. And my parents did a really good job of you could say protecting us and just kind of not really exposing, you know, the, the difficulties that were going mm-hmm. on in our city. And so um, I think for me, I kind of blocked it out. And even when I went to high school, I went. I, my parents ended up sending me to private high school because they feared, you know, wor- the worst things that were happening in our city. Um, so my, my dad and my mom, they would drive us at least 45 minutes. Um, and in LA that's like, I mean, we have traffic all the time for 45 minutes each way and back to, to high school. Um, just to be away from any type of exposure that might harm us. And um, so all of a sudden I was in a group of high school students that had no clue or really weren't phased by the LA rights and private Mm -hmm. school on top of that. So it was like the poor kid with all these rich kids. (laughs) Um, And I always refer to them. Have you read the book? I'm sure you probably have But Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um,
1: Yeah, I uh, usually have it on my table.
2: Oh, okay, yeah, it's one of my favorite books, because I read it my, I want to say with was my freshman or sophomore year in college. And that was the first time I, when I read that book, I thought, Oh, my God, it's the story of my life growing up from, you know, I lived in a city, it was like super poverty. And then, you know, going to, to really affluent high school, um, with rich kids, and how, how families were very different, you could say from where I grew up. And, you know, both my parents worked so many hours, they worked a lot. And so, you know, being exposed to, you know, some parents that like, mom doesn't stay at home or work from home or had multiple businesses and you're exposed to so languages different. And just, um, it was a very interesting and I feel fortunate enough that I was surrounded by that. But I also feel that because of my experiences has allowed me to be more um, of an advocate for the need of having the, the buying power, the financial literacy Um, aspect because the majority of over 55% of Americans are financially illiterate. And I've I've seen and I've not only dealt with it myself, but I've seen how detrimental it can be to a person and to their family. And so um, I think that's something that I always think back of like where I came from. And I no longer am ashamed of it. I used to be like, I didn't want any people to know I'm from Inglewood because people, even when I would travel to different countries, they be like, oh yeah, Inglewood, I heard so many rap songs, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, great. You know, um, I remember even once in Ireland, they were playing one of Tupac songs and I'm like, oh God, this is where I'm from, you know, and this is kind of funny that I I was not necessarily just ashamed, but I was kind of like, that's the only picture people have of where I grew up. And um, I did have a lovely childhood as far as like a lot of my family and friends are in the neighborhood and, you know, we had fun summers because we were close to the beach, you know, those are things that, and now Inglewood has changed too, since the, the new Ram Stadium is being built and, you know, there's a lot of different things that are happening in the city. But um, I'm always, now I'm, I'm proud of where I came from because I feel like it's also allowed me to be myself more um, and reminded me that I am unique and that I've overcome many challenges that most people will never have to deal with. Um, so I, I don't take it, I don't take my, uh, my privileges and opportunities for granted. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> nice. That's funny that you mentioned uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, because well, as you were telling me, like, it kind of sounds like the Rich Dad Poor Dad story.
2: Mm-hmm. I was thinking mm-hmm. in my
1: head, that's, that's funny. Um, so you, you talked about your personal struggles, like, do you want to get like any more detailed about those that you want to share about? And how did you overcome
2: Sure. You know, um, one of my personal like financial struggles um, was dealing with student debt, um, and it wasn't just like student loans, it was credit card debt, so we see this being a, a, a major um, impact in our lives, so for me, um, because I was a first-generation college grad as well, that meant I had to navigate that whole realm. I also did get some scholarships. I, I did work full-time, so... Um, I used to hate, especially right when I graduated, I'd hear many parents or just adults saying, you know, I don't know how someone can get into so much debt. And for me, I was thinking I worked full time. I was working my butt off. I even got scholarships and I still graduated with a lot of debt. Um, and I went to a public school too. So if I were to go to a private institution, my debt would have been much higher. And it's it was kind of this reoccurring message we were getting as recent graduates is, oh, you should be ashamed that you have so much debt. You should have managed your money better. Or, um, you know, well, eventually you'll pay it off because we paid off our debt. And I graduated right around, uh, right before the market crash. So many of us did manage to get some jobs right away. Um, But then, you know, obviously the market crashed. So not only now were you faced with all the student debt, we're dealing with now looking for a job. And so a lot of shame, I felt very shamed for what I was going through, um, I felt also really alone because none of my friends or family members were really talking about this. Because, well, first, my family, most of them had never gone to college, so they weren't really, they didn't have that same experience as far as student debt. And um, because I'm a woman too, I realized that many women weren't talking about money. I was always that girlfriend that was kind of like, not necessarily starting the awkward conversation, but I would be like, hey, have you thought about investing or you thought about buying a place? Or you know and I was a business major too so most of my classes are predominantly male predominantly white um, so being a person of color and a woman I just felt really alone and um, I was dealing with um, the stress of not knowing how to pay my bills um, how to pay off my debt and when you you know when you lose your job I've, I still meet people all the time when I speak um, I recently met a lady who was I believe 65 she's about to close to retirement and her company that she worked for 30 years, let her go. And um, she gave me a hug right after I spoke. And she said, Oh my God, thank you for sharing what you went through mentally after you know losing your job. She said that she felt she was dying. She had no idea what was going on. Like what she was feeling um, mentally, emotionally. And, you know, I've showed my story that it was um, causes depression. It causes that um, wanting to just, Like give up and say you know what forget it I I, my, you don't feel hopeful I think that was the hardest part is even though you tried you kind of thought well you know I was told if I go to college and you know I did well that everything would be okay once I get a great job and everything's paid for but no one really prepared you for plan b and so um my challenge was not only finding the resources I didn't know what resources were available as far as like um um, not only have a good payment plan, but uh, therapists or people that can act you can actually talk to, or having support groups. Um, and for me, luckily, I did have a few guy friends and mentors that I would reach out to and be like, "Hey, do you guys ever deal with this?" Um, you know, especially. And I had just bought my first place by myself. Um, I had already started investing in real estate, but this was the first home to myself. I was the only one paying for this mortgage, and I was seeing so many people around me losing not only their, their homes, their, their rental properties, but you know, their life retirements. And these are people twice my age. And I was thinking, Oh my God, if this is happening to them, it's totally going to happen to me next. So I was feeling a lot of anxiety. um, And I remember not even telling my parents I had lost my job because I didn't want to worry them. And at the time too, I had a, um, a nonprofit, we were in our fourth year. um, And at this point we had helped over a thousand girls in the LA County and and it, was, and it was such a wonderful, fun time, but it was also financially um, difficult because it would cost me like $15,000 a year to keep going. And all of a sudden I thought, there goes, I won't be able to help anymore. I'm gonna, you know, this burden is is something that I'm not gonna be able to continue to keep going with this nonprofit. And so I felt a lot of responsibility. I felt a lot of shame as far as I thought, my God, I should know better because I had these degrees in finance because I talk about money. Um, but I was also in my early 20s, right? So it's like there's, there was no real resources. And there were a few books out there. I'm not going to mention these people <laughs> because I, I actually admire them as, as financial gurus, you can say. But I read a lot of their books, and I felt as if a parent was shaming me still. Um, and, and a lot of them had never had that experience. Some of them didn't even go to college. They were just, well, they were just great with money. So it, it was kind of, um, I always think of this meme, not a meme, it was actually in the Wall Street Journal, It's a really cool picture. Of this student carrying a big bag of their student debt, and the parents waiting outside of the door saying, "Well, you know what, son, you'll be okay. Um, we came to this country with no money, and you know we had zero in our account, but you're going to be okay." And the kid's looking at him like, "I have a hundred thousand dollars of student debt with interest in the back behind me. I would totally trade my life with you right now for that zero percent." Right. <laughs> so right. I, that's a, that's what a lot of students are feeling. Um, and sometimes, I think this is what people forget, That this is what's helped me in my career. I think a lot of people think when I do talk, especially at universities or um, recent grads that are working in great jobs, a lot of people assume thinking that people that have student debt are recent 20-year-olds. The truth is a lot of them are in their 40s, 50s, and it's not just their own student debt. They probably co signed for their children so they have student debt. And not only are they parents of kids, they're most likely also taking care of their, care, you know, their parents. So the majority of people, my clients, people that hire me and talk to me and, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, I become like their money therapist somehow. Um, I see the frustration that they're going through. And I think there's still, um, there's still an audience, you can say that is not being not only helped or the resources are still somewhat slow getting to them. Um, I feel that if we stop shaming them and understanding that it's difficult and, things are happening. Um, and remember that group too, that's the group that also was affected by the real estate market and, or just the market crash period. So, um, and, you know, now that we think about it, if we look at what's going on right now, um, people are still in denial of what's going to happen in the next couple of years. I mean, it's, it's going to happen, but yeah. I think if people start understanding that there's signs, there's symptoms, you can say um, how to prepare yourself for that. Um, it's, it's a, it's a crucial time. And I think, the sad thing, and let's, let's be honest, I'm being vulnerable here. Um, the majority of my friends or my colleagues that are my age um, maybe didn't experience or don't remember necessarily that hardship because maybe they didn't lose their jobs, but they weren't investing in real estate. They weren't investing necessarily in their retirement. Um, and for me, I remember, I mean, one of my first deals was right before the crash. I was so um I want to say lucky, but I was also my, I had good mentors. And I remember one of them was saying, if the numbers don't make sense, it's not a good deal. Right. And one was right before the crash and we flipped it or pretty much sold it like, within a couple months. And I didn't make any money. So I wasn't like, I wasn't telling people like, Hey, I invested, you know, because I felt ashamed that I was like, I didn't even make any money off of that. But I, I look back, I was lucky because I didn't lose any money. Everything was paid for closing costs. Um, if anything, I remember still being mad at myself because the lady that I sold it to resold it within a few months and made $30,000. But fast forward to a few months after, um, I found out other investors in that area, same place. Um, they lost over 200,000 because the market crashed. So I could have lost everything pretty much and, and owed. And then my very first place that I bought that I lived under by myself was, um, I bought it at a fraction of what everyone else did in those condos and those areas because the timing was right. I was bought mm-hmm. it low right when the crash had already happened. And so I always recommend people to watch books and, and or these documentaries. But one of my favorite movies is um, The Big Short with Steve Carell. Oh, Dad yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, I still recommend people to watch it because there's so many triggers and things that you could see. And I always explain it to people. It's kind of like when someone's getting sick you know that they're coughing and they're sneezing and there's these little things signs right same thing goes with the real estate right and i think the hardest part is my friends and my my colleagues and my age group are about to experience what most people dealt with maybe in 2007 and aren't really are in denial in that sense and i so not to be a pessimist or anything but i think it's if we're smart enough to understand that all these things happen in cycles And how we can benefit from that, and how we can help others to obviously not lose their homes or understand that there has to be some type of savings and everything that comes with it. But it's still a learning process, and I think I will never fully know. Um, I always say money or financial literacy is a foreign language. For me, it's still a foreign language, and I think it'll always be because no matter what I do, I'm learning new avenues there's things i mean new products are out all the time um and it's just kind of like when you buy your first property now you're learning a whole new language right when you buy your first rental property it's a whole nother language when you're dealing with death i mean last year i lost both my grandparents within seven months um and that was very difficult for me because it's not just the emotional side um you know you you just as a when you lose a loved one i was very close to my grandparents um, you're emotionally not there. A lot of things are happening in your life. But you forget that your finances also somehow take a hit because the littlest thing that we take for granted, like just like answering emails or, you know, making sure everything's paid for. And I'm very, like, I have my schedule and everything, but I know there was times where I'm like a day, you know, I thought a day had passed and it really was like a week. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like you kind of get snacked back into it. And so mm. I always explain to people that you know, when you go through hardships, it also affects your financial hardship as well, or becomes a financial hardship, especially when it comes to loss of loved ones, um, or loss of a job. Um, and so, or you're, or you're physically, um, physically sick. So those are things that have a hit on what our, our finances are. And it's just kind of going back to a, I was recently on a panel and they asked me that question. They're like, are you, are you comfortable, comfortable enough sharing your credit score? <laughs> and, I said yes, actually, um, and I, the rest of the panel, we agreed to tell our credit score, but the funny thing okay. is, I mentioned to people and said, you know, most people rather tell you their weight than their credit score, <laughs> at least, right, you
1: know. yeah, and,
2: and the biggest thing I wanted them to walk away with is not to feel that, you know, your credit score does not define who you are, however, your credit score can help you understand where your money habits are, What or what was going on in your life during that time. And that's when I share and say, you know what, that month that my grandma passed away from a heart attack unexpectedly, I remember my score was really low because I missed the payment here or something else had happened. Um, and that's not like me, but obviously I was not emotionally, I was coping, I was grieving. And you know, the moments that everything was really well is because things were going well. So I think it's important for us to understand that it's all connected. Um, and money's an energy too. That's another thing I talk about. But um, yeah, it's kind of a long answer for you, but it's <laughs> one no. of like many areas.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. So, you know, when I was like 16, I uh, got like a 100 grand from a far right settlement. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Would have wow. been awesome. Well, mm-hmm. I, like, but I didn't value money. I was mm. like, oh, I'm 16, swipe a card and like within. Right. <laughs> but- <laughs> I would say three to four months, it was gone Ugh, and yeah. some. Yeah. And like, you know, when I was ready to go to college, I'm like, why? Like, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Yeah. I could be going to college now.
2: Yep. Yep. And
1: now like struggling to pay for college. And then like I started a business and I'm like, oh, well that could have been seed yeah. money for my business. And then that my business went under because my, fi- I don't pay yep. attention to the financial part of it
2: yeah
1: and, and through the process like i i'm still like in the baby steps but still like i'm glad that i'm 25 now and i see these behaviors and start something because i'm watching my friends buying yeah. a brand new truck brand new iphone yep i've had them like i'm driving a 94 nissan Pathfinder.
2: i completely understand but you know that's that's just smart and the fact that you're sharing this let's other young people know too, that make those choices. And you know, and that's something I was really, my parents are really good about teaching me that, but um, I look back on, on some of the, my great financial accomplishments you could say, but when I really look back at those, it was because it was a lot of sacrifice that came with that. So there was times where my friends were, um, and I live in LA, so it's all about where you live or the nice cars yeah. that you drive, right? And so I remember during that time, mm-hmm. I had friends that were living in uh, awesome neighborhoods, renting of course um and here I am buying this condo and like not the best place um needed a lot of work I mean the roof had caved in the day it closed oh, wow. so let's just put it that way it was a fixer-upper um, yeah. but I loved I love ugly houses I still do because there's just so much more money in them right and so but at that time I felt like what am I doing even my friends are like why are you living here you know, and it was like it was kind of like this I'm missing out um and I was fortunate enough I had people around me that Actually, one of my dad's best friends was seven. No, he just turned seventy-eight, and I love the way he came up to me right after I bought the place, and he said, "He's like, so do all your friends think you're rich now because you bought a place? You know, you're so young." And I go, "Yeah, I think that's yeah. Actually, I've been feeling that." And and he's like, "He's like, little do you know, you're more broke than they are, right?" And I go, "Yeah, because I just literally spent all my savings into this place, and I'm still putting money into it. Um, mm-hmm. So I can't afford to do like the bars as much or do all these things that we used to do." Um, You know, and I really have to think about my financial future, you can say. Um, And he said, don't worry. He's like, just keep at it. And he's like, watch within the next 10 years, your friends are going to wish you they did what you did. Um, And he was right on because majority of my friends couldn't buy a place without either their parents' help or or still renting. Um, Don't really have anything to show for in that sense. And for me, it was such a stepping stone, a learning curve for sure, too. Um, But I think... You just said it, like the mistake you made, it's good mistakes. I mean, hopefully you learn from them, right? Don't repeat them. But when we share our mistakes with others, it's the fact that you don't tell people, um, you know, hey, don't do not do that. Or, you know, as a kid, you kind of, you need someone reminding you um, of the value of money. There's another really good TED Talk um, by Adam Carroll. And I don't know if you watched it, but he talks about the, uh, um, the, the lack of actual money. So everything's virtual. And for children, for children, this is gonna be the most biggest challenge, I think, in the next generation is they are no longer handling tangible cash, right? No, they no longer really see that interaction. Everything's virtual, Mm -hmm. everything's through an app, everything is, Mm -hmm. you know, through a credit card. And so it's almost kind of like money goes in and out really easily. Um, and if they start seeing that as kids and they're assuming, oh, eventually I'm going to get a good job anyways, and it'll pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and little do they know they might be stuck working at a minimum wage, whatever it might be in a lot of mm-hmm. debt. So, um, I think I like the way he, he broke down the concept of if we start teaching our kids the truth about how we manage our money and, and really showing the value of it, um, they're most likely to make less those mistakes that we made, and and I think that's something I always get in arguments during my not arguments, but at least parents want to argue with me when I do these conferences that um, that are catered for for their children going to college.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: the number one thing I always tell them, you know, do you speak to your kids about money? And the majority of the moms usually, and usually moms, they say, no, I don't want to worry them or bombard them with you know our finances or things that we do. And I go, no, you're making a mistake. You need to let them know. One, they'll value what you spend money on. But second is, wouldn't you rather them make a mistake with $1,000 as opposed to $100,000 when they're on their own when they graduate from college with so much debt? Um, And then a lot of them are like, oh, yeah, I didn't really think of it that way. Um, And one of my favorite activities, (laughs) I give them different homework, but one of my favorite homework uh, that I let them know, say, you know, if you're willing to do this, totally try it. And the majority of time they'll do it and it's a mind-blowing experience where I say, can you give your child? Assuming this is like a sixteen-year-old ready, getting ready for college and you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, can you give them your expenses and ca- your, excuse me, your your earnings in cash for that month that you're going to use everything for expenses? So, you know, someone will be like, wait, you want me to give my kid five thousand, ten thousand dollars a right. month um, in cash? And and I explain to them, just watch what happens that month. They're in charge of everything right so every time you need gas every time you need to pay the rent every time you need to go to groceries every time you want to go to the movies you're asking your kid constantly for money um and it's always a funny experience because a lot of them will say oh yeah in the beginning the kid was like oh my god all this money obviously they weren't spending it because they weren't allowed to but they got so frustrated every time the parent would come to them and say okay i need (laughs) money for this i need money for the rent i need money for this um until the end of the month they're like, wait, how much money do you, oh, you know what, maybe we can go to the park instead of the movies. Or, you know, like they really started to hone down. And that experience, a lot of them will say their kids will make a choice on where they'll go to college or have them think about really getting a second job or something while they're in school. They, they, they really start to understand um, early on, the, not only just the value, but how hard their parents work for the money. So I think this is such a, such a cool activity. And um, I, I always find it interesting to see they usually see how you know their children's um, perspectives change and their values change on how much they're spending so um it's important to get each other involved in it and i mean i know as a parent for them i think the most beautiful thing is that they obviously want to protect their kids um and and not worry them but it's kind of that once again they're also reinstating that bad habit of we shouldn't talk about money at home which we should Um, I know it's a, it's not even just a cultural thing. I used to think, oh, it's just by culture. We're told not to talk about money, but Mm -hmm. it's a real stigma in most families. And it needs to be talked about. You know, it's half of the time. I think it's more generation. You know, we see a lot of studies that'll show the same financial habits that the children are taking because their parents took it or the way the language is, you know, and all these books you've read too, you know, Robert Tiyosaki talks about that too, like how you hear poor people and rich people talk. Um, mm-hmm. and so they start repeating the same habits that turn into the same mistakes, um, mm-hmm. or if not worse mistakes, cause they didn't have, and this is something I, I explain. It. Um, I feel like I advocate for is our parents didn't have to deal with credit cards. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the same loans that we dealt with. I mean, I still remember in college where there was people outside my, my classroom giving me credit cards for like free flip-flops or a t-shirt with a horse interest rate. Now, luckily in California, it's against the law, but that they no longer get done outside. But it, it was that easy to get a credit card and mm-hmm. it was, you know, taken advantage of. So, um, a lot of it has to do with, I think the gener you know, generation continue to do the same mistakes. Um, but I also think it's, it's part of, we're afraid about, we're afraid of money. We give it a lot of power. Um, there's an exercise I do in my workshops where, You know, I say, look at your credit card statements and utility bills. Can you show your kids these Um, as you're paying them, show them what you're doing? Because by the time you go to, you know, you live out on your own, you no longer freak out when you see that envelope, you'll say, oh yeah, I know what that is. Um, We don't know it, but we're giving it so much power. And, you know, there's friends that I say, I I hear friends still all the time. Oh, I hate it when I look at that bill or the paper, just the envelope gives them anxiety. And I Mm -hmm. thought, wow. And it's something that they were conditioned since they were kids. But if we start to understand, it's a piece of paper that we can, we have some control over not only expenses on it, but um, understand that, that it's going to take time to come from a place of, you know, less anxiety and understand that you're not going to be surprised when you see the bill because you're keeping a track of how much you're spending, you know? So I know that's something that the younger generations have to deal with that are maybe our, our older parents didn't have to. Um, so it's, you know, it's a learning environment for everybody. And and now that we're thinking about taking care of our elderly parents, that's another um, responsibility many of us are really um, not only literally facing, but it's something that constantly worries us as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So what if like somebody who's like needs to, they're like doing research and they want to start getting hold of their finances in the beginning, like what are three tips that you can give somebody
2: yeah um so the three tips I, I want to say the first one is allot yourself at least 20 minutes out of your day to learn something about money um, learn something about financial literacy learn something about the terms right um in my TED talk I talk about it but it's like learning a language you need to do this daily Um, and don't do it so like, oh, I'm going to do hours and hours of it in one day because then you're never going to want to do it the next day, right? So it's Mm -hmm. just taking little bites, maybe learning some terminology, um, really understanding your statement, you know just looking at over 20 minutes. Um, That's partly why my podcast is under 20 minutes too. I want to provide content under that. But I think one that'll help you change your habit, right? So just think 20-minute increments a day. And then the second tip is challenge yourself to look at statements and items that you don't understand so if you're you know let's say you are in high school or in college or just graduating um start asking about like okay what kind of retirement plans should i looking at what kind of places should i think about purchasing in the future right a lot of students are like oh i can't wait to buy my first car Like, can't you think about can't you wait to buy your first rental property first than a car or you know there's different ways of um, incorporating how we see it and then third Um, I think the best tip for the third would be figure out where your runaway spending is. Um, In my book, I talk about that a lot is many of us have our own, um, not only bad habits, but we have our own reoccurring costs. So some of us might spend money on coffee daily, or um, I know David Bach calls it the coffee latte, uh, latte factor, but some of us might spend a meal a day you know, out of the house, which $10 doesn't seem like a lot sometimes. Um, But when you start to multiply that by month, Mm -hmm. you know, $200 there. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden Monday through Friday, $10 a day ended up turning into close to $2,500 per year. Um, So these are little areas that we could see that, that those few dollars can trickle into a thousand dollars. So I think those would be my top three for someone that's just kind of like, maybe doesn't want to deal with money. We'll just start off with those little things. And that'll get you more interested in learning something new every single day and understanding your habits and figuring out um, how, to, how to plan for your future.
1: I love it. I like how you uh, mentioned habits. Like, do you have any morning habits that you do for success at night or in the morning?
2: Morning, for sure. My night, I still got to work on, for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, my, my husband and I love watching Bob's Burger. So uh, I think my, my my consistent habit in the morning, and this is something actually I actually always ask my mentors or anyone that I like admire, and I'm like, what's your morning habit? Um, I definitely meditate for at least 15 minutes in the morning before I do yeah. anything else. Um, I have to force myself to get up and, and go to a separate place where I meditate. And um, 15 minutes of meditation and then write for at least two minutes in my journal i have a gratitude journal and then i'm actually working on this cool journal workshop that hopefully will be out before the end of the year um but i just write a few things um, on like successes things that i have you know top two goals i have to do for the day just helps clear my mind and then anything else it's just you know especially when i'm stressed out just kind of writing out what i'm feeling because sometimes it's just worse in my mind than it is right in reality and um i have my specific tea i Try not to drink coffee in the morning because it actually builds up a lot believe it or not a lot of not only obviously the energy but anxiety so i start off with the calming tea so it's sometimes like a turmeric tea that i love or a, you mm-hmm. know ginger or chamomile um mm-hmm. because we need to hydrate and a lot of people think well c- coffee will actually does the opposite so um right. those are my three things that i do and i think that keeps me a little more grounded and my husband can tell when I haven't meditated or when I'm stressed out. And it's just so funny. And that's why I tell people, yeah, those 15 minutes make the world of a difference for my day. Um, And I deal with a lot of emotional, um, obviously not just emotional baggage and all that stuff, but um, there's moments where I I was like, okay, just sitting down meditation. And, And the morning meditation is very helpful. And sometimes in the middle of the day, like today actually I had a great conference call um, you know, but there's sometimes anxiety that comes when you send out the proposal and you're like, I hope I didn't ask her too much, or I hope this is enough. Or So I just kind of like gave myself five minutes to just kind of relax and just meditate and have faith that it worked out. Um,
0: yeah, and that totally. just kind
2: of gives me back into my like, okay, here's my zone. This is my worth and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. So, um, I think those are the best tips that I received. And that's something I practice daily.
1: I love it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I try and wake up, give myself time don't look at my phone for at least like the first mm-hmm. 15 to 20 minutes. And then I pray and meditate. Yeah. And then I send a text message to one of my mentors, um, oh. like grateful, I'm you know, gratitude list. My goal, like mini goals. Awesome. Like, what am I going to do today? Yeah.
2: I got to start doing that. That's cool. I, I, I should send out texts in the morning. That's a great day. That's a great way to start someone else's day too.
1: Yeah. like just self affirmations. And like, once I started doing that, like, I like have you know, meditated on and off for seven years but i never have like done like a gratitude in the morning Mm
2: -hmm. and i'm so
1: glad that i started doing that and now just like observing like my thoughts in the moment like this week and practicing like having more empathy for people yes and being more self-aware of that because if I i don't realize the way how i'm treating people
2: Mm -hmm.
1: like because i'm just doing my thing and like (laughs) yeah whatever i'm working and you know i might Oops. do some oh <laughs> i might sorry, do something sorry. that uh, will offend somebody but now mm. like it's only thursday but just people at my work they're like what are you okay like what's going on
2: yeah, like,
1: uh, like, yeah. you're being nicer and I, i'm like <laughs> wow yeah and like i'm not like no at work i'm a dick and i don't mean to be like, I'm a pretty nice guy outside of work. I just, I get really focused in my body language, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I get it. It's the, the tunnel vision, I get that way sometimes, too. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm glad, you know, a lot of people that I interview, like, they meditate, and, uh, have a journal. And I think that is, you know, one, for mental health and mm-hmm. just to be successful. Uh, you know, I, I struggle with mental health myself. Um, last year, I put myself in the hospital for my drug overdose. Oh, yeah. Like I was trying to uh, do that, and uh, now, like I want to, you know, sh- tell- share the with the world that like we all have struggles, yeah. we can overcome them, and yeah. be successful. Exactly. Like everyone has struggles, and uh, I don't know. Now, like I have no problem telling people my struggles in the past like I've dealt with depression alcoholism drug addiction basically my whole life Wow,
2: that makes you really brave though and and thanks for sharing that because honestly for me it took me almost eight years to publicly tell people I mean of course and I don't know why till this day I don't know why I did it on (laughs) TEDx but it took me almost eight years to to actually tell people you know I dealt with depression and found myself in acute psychiatric hospital for for 36 hours and it was very difficult as I said like it's brave of you to a year ago you were dealing with this but I think it's important for people to hear that because majority of the time and I didn't I would never actually like I said it took me that many years to say it but when I would present I would just I would kind of dismiss it I'm like oh yeah I was depressed at one point or I dealt with something Um, but until people started to say share with me and say you know what you know this happened to me and think, you know, thanks for saying what you said, but you know, maybe you never dealt with something. And that's when it really triggered me that I'm like, I need to tell people to know that it, it hasn't always been easy for me. Um, and things have happened in my life that I'm, I'm supposed to not be here basically. Right. And so mm-hmm. you sharing your story, um, you know, addiction is difficult. Uh, mental illness is hard. And I think that's something we we'll realize that many of us deal with that. Um, it allows us once to feel less alone and hopeful, Um, but it's kind of like, it's, it's something we have to work out every day. You know, just like you got a shower pretty much every day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's the same thing with our mental health. So, I mean, you're brave to be able to share that already and being so young. Um, the best advice I got from my therapist, um, when I had my breakdown, I call it my mental breakdown. Uh, I think I was close to 30. I was 29. And she said, wow. She goes, you, you dealt with a lot of stuff, but she goes, you also did a lot of, you accomplished a lot of things that most people will never get to accomplish in their entire life. Um, and she's like, you know, people that do extraordinary things go through extraordinary challenges. And that made me feel one better, you know, kind of like, Oh, why am I so hard on myself? Right. And to it allowed me to be okay with, you know what, things are going to happen. And, Crisis or whatever it might be will happen, and it's just kind of understanding that you got to take it day by day. Um, So thank you for sharing that because I know a lot of people still struggle with it, and sometimes they need to hear that it's it's unfortunately common, but there's things that we can do in order to prevent it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, good for you. I mean, and I'm sure that's something that you're working constantly on, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, constantly. And you know, I've been uh, first time I went to rehab, I was 19 wow and like i go through this relapse cycle and um last year i got an abusive relationship and one thing led to another i was homeless in vegas uh and whatever that's in the past now now my purpose came from my pain my purpose came from my pain and now i just want to help other people who've been there and yeah like i just want to inspire one person with this podcast and now i'm getting emails messages from facebook like wow like thank you so much. I'm like wow. That's I just awesome. want to inspire one person. I didn't think yeah. everybody was going to listen. Like, and, and that's
2: that's what it is. You never know who's listening. Um, what is uh, um, J.K. Rowling? I love how she said this in this commencement speech. Um, I, I forget what university it was, but she said um, when we talk about like our challenges, but it's more about when we talk about what we've gone through it's like we it's not only our family that will um, celebrate our accomplishments but it'll be like the thousands and millions of people's lives you've helped change and that's exactly what you're doing I mean as podcasters I think that's the coolest thing when someone sends you an email like hey I heard your I heard your advice or I heard your challenge and um, in the end sometimes you feel like am I the only person listening to this and it's right. beautiful, beautiful it's beautiful when you get those messages um, yeah. when someone says I was going through a really rough time and I, I heard this and um, you know it really does it feels it feels life changing and I think it's awesome what you're doing and, and that's what you do you end up helping you keep doing it and and somehow you, you just want to help that one person and that's really the the best part the best feeling is when you just know you have um, and all the other perks are just my perks like but that's right. not what the, the purpose is and I think that's beautiful that you get a you, you get an opportunity to touch many people's eyes in that way
1: Thank you and I appreciate you sharing what you did that's definitely uh so you're a podcaster yourself mm-hmm. um and you are a official part of the round table you're a round tabler yeah what um you want to talk about that a little like how was that experience
2: yeah i'll I'll talk about it shortly because i am running out of time but b <laughs> so oh, i have to that? show i have to show oh it. wow this is the funniest yeah. thing okay. um so yeah I've been listening to the podcast roundtable, table. Um, for those that haven't, it's great. You could watch it on YouTube or listen to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say I would listen to it at least a year prior and this is before I launched my podcast because I needed, you know, I love, I love their content. They always have different, you know, I mean the same type of guys, but they usually have different uh, people tune in and I learned yeah. so much from them. And, um, it really just helped me have a little more confidence and just be okay with, Hey, I'm going to make mistakes. That's just part of the learning process. And, um, I had been listening to Ray and I've, I've listened to most of their podcasts individually too. And literally I think it was like a couple of days before he's like, Hey, we have an opening for basically a rookie, um, which I totally am. <laughs> um, would you be interested in, in sharing your story or, you know, just, just chiming in and I'm like, yeah, for sure. And so um, it was such a cool interview. I mean, especially cause these guys are legends. Right. And yeah, I mean, one of them, he has, he's the number four podcast. Like his podcast number is four. He's the fourth one ever created a podcast, right? Um, And now he consults people on podcasts, which is pretty incredible. But, you know, I felt like, oh my God, these are people that I've been watching for a year and I'm actually talking to and they had some good advice. And um, I got to be honest on like what my struggles were, Um, but I have to share the funniest part of the conversation in that that specific episode i'm trying to remember what the number episode is maybe you could put it in your notes but um they asked me like how's it been being a podcaster a recent podcaster and i said well for me it's a big deal because there's very few women podcasters very few people of color podcasting and very few latina podcasters like we're non-existent still and um uh, and i and uh is it ray i think that asked he's like He's like, well, what'd you think podcasters look like? And I go, well, I was in finance. Like I was a finance manager. So I go, all my classmates were guys. And, um, and one of them was like, and they were all white, huh? And I'm like, yeah. So I thought <laughs> you had to be one of those guys. I didn't even say he did. And that's what cracked me up. And, and I go, yeah. So it's kind of, it's cool to see the diversities happening. Um, and then they looked around at me at the table. They're like, so basically if you weren't here, it'd be all of us white guys talking, right? And I go, yeah. <laughs> So I found it funny because I said, you know what, thank you I go for saying it, but also it, it shows that representation matters, you know, sometimes you just, I had a, a um, someone from Canada who emailed me and he was a recent immigrant from Germany, I believe, I'm trying to remember exactly where, that moved to Canada and he goes, you know, thanks, like, this is, you know, really inspiring and it's kind of like you forget that you represent so many different, you know, sometimes it's, you're just representing someone that's like a parent or a kid or, you know, first generation, or whatever it might be. So. Um, it's always cool to see that there is representation and diversity is really important and you hear all these different perspectives so um, it it was still a really surreal experience and because it was literally you know it was last minute Um, once again I was like I don't have makeup and hopefully it's going to be super quiet in my office I think one of my dogs barked or something but yeah (laughs) um, (laughs) you know um, And oh and of course I think out of all days I think the fire truck or something had passed by which you know it's LA it happens but I'm like, really? But it's just I think that's what I love about podcasts. It's so real and raw. It's kinda of like you can't make this stuff up. Um, so it was a very cool experience. And and I still listen to those guys because I feel like I learned so much. We're like, oh, that's what I should have done. Or I should have really, um, I mean, there's so many mistakes I make still. And so I mean, it's I'm looking forward to putting some new episodes out already. And it's just kind of like oh, I'm totally going to do that different this time or or I'll keep working what I thought would never have worked, you know? So it's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs>
0: right on. A uh,
1: couple couple last questions, but really the last question is, what's your message to the world?
2: My message to the world is we are ancestors' wildest dreams come true.
1: Love it. Love it. So... Um, if people want to listen to your podcast, what's the name and where can they find it?
2: Yeah, so uh, it's Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes, and it's actually a bilingual podcast um, as of last year. And it's uh, in Spanish, but Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes, and you can find us on um, iTunes. I, I still have to make sure it's on every other platform. Um, but it's, it's just basically cool content under 20 minutes. And the majority of people that I interview are self-made millionaires. So I just ask them the questions that people want to know, um, from all different backgrounds and just kind of cool to hear their, their tips and their tricks and all their tribulations. So, um, yeah, I reach out. My website is financially savvy in 20 minutes, my book, same name. And, um, yeah, pretty much to do the best that I can under the 20 minutes.
1: (laughs) Right on. And, uh, what's your Instagram plug?
2: Yes, my Instagram is financially savvy Latina with two V's, um, and it's the same uh, as, except for Twitter. it's been savvy Latina. But um, yeah, feel free to send me a message and and comment on this episode, guys.
1: <laughs> right on. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. I'm glad that we oh, got to do this.
2: Thank you for reaching out. I'm sorry it took so long, but I'm so glad it happened. Thank you.
1: No worries. <laughs> you know, you're you are a busy gal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, it's been it's been good it's been great uh, that's a one of the i think the cool experiences about doing a tedx so all of a sudden i'm like oh they want to hire me to do what now so yeah. <laughs> thank you i appreciate yeah. that
1: <laughs> totally right on well i know you're running out of time Kern, so i'll let you go but uh thank you again
2: awesome thank you
0: All right, guys, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Now, go find Tyler Michael Chauncey on Instagram. If you guys want some of the dopest swag out there for life or just gym swag, then you need the Create line. So, Michael, she's a personal trainer. She is a two-times online business coach. She's even a guest on the none of your business podcast. So if you want to support the create movement, find Tyler Michael Chauncey on Instagram, just DM her. And she will give you all the information to buy some of of her dope swag. So it's T Y L U E R underscore M I K A L underscore C H A N see why you know give her a heads up let her know that i sent you and just go buy some dope swag because you need it your styling option's terrible so have michael just fix it